0: G-Core CDN is a next-generation content delivery network that accelerates your application's static and dynamic content. G-Core CDN has you covered around the globe, with more than 150 edge locations and 11,000 peering partners worldwide. And of course, G-Core CDN supports IPv4 and IPv6. Go to gcore.com slash packetpushers to find out more. That's gcore.com slash packetpushers.
1: Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, you can go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. And if you got something cool working with v6, well, we definitely want to hear from you. Come join us on the v6 buzz and tell us what you got working with v6 and why it's cool. I'm Ed Horley with my co hosts Tom Cuffey and Scott Hogue. And today we're going to be talking about IPv6 at major internet exchanges with our guest, Jason Ginnert. I'd like to jump straight into it and, and sort of ask you maybe a little bit of background around internet exchanges, how you got involved with it and how you helped run one and how all that came about.
2: Yeah, I'm well happy to. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate you guys having me on. I got involved with that originally back in 2016. I'm based in Ohio. So this is the, the particular exchange we're talking about is the Ohio Internet Exchange in Columbus, Ohio. Back then, a lot of local operators got together and thought, well, you know, there's these community uh, exchanges popping up all over the U.S. We might need one in our backyard, you know, just to give you a kind of a, an idea of how connectivity works in our region, you know, throughout Ohio. A lot of our interconnection points are in Chicago or Washington, D.C., so Ashburn, Virginia or you know downtown Chicago, the interconnection between local providers is going to hairpin all the way up through either Chicago or down through Ashburn. Back then in in 2016, we decided you know we need to make that improve performance for users and for operators of service provider networks in uh, this region, and also get uh, content providers involved to you know deliver content, and get it closer to their users here. And I stepped away for a little while, just life. Shortly after, found. Uh, the company that that I uh, run today, Wind Dynamics, back then, and that, that uh, buried me for a few years. Then I got back involved again during COVID, when uh, a lot of us were looking for other things to get into, other ways to occupy their time, when because they couldn't really go out and interact with the world that like we had before. So I got involved in 2020 again, and I started to uh, to get involved, and and since then, I mean, I think when I started we were doing around probably 2 or 3 gigabits per second of traffic 3 years ago and we just crossed 300 gigabits per second. Thursday night football pushes our numbers up pretty good. Uh Amazon's a big peer of ours and uh last week we hit over 300 gigabits per second. So it's been a been a wild ride the last 3 years.
3: Wow. Back in the dawn of the early ages of of IPv6, you know, there were Not many internet exchanges that deployed IPv6. It was like PAX, The Maze, there was NY6, there was six and San Jose, there was Telex, Six Tap in Chicago. You know, there were early exchanges that deployed IPv6. Now, I think it's probably table stakes. It's just the default, right? You you wouldn't have an internet exchange without both v4 and v6 peers, right?
2: I totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and we actually, when we issue address resources to new members, we just automatically issue them a v6 address. Yeah. Uh, Just assuming that at some point they're going to use that. So we're at 91% of our members have been issued a v6 address. Um, Some of them, for whatever reason, like they don't want a v6 address and they don't want it published on what's called peering DB, which a lot of our members use to manage and find peering opportunities and manage routing policy. So some of them say, hey, yeah, we don't want a v6 address attached, but um, yeah, 91% of our members have a v6 address, whether they use it or not. Last I looked, over half our members are peering with v6 today with uh, the, at least the route servers. Most of them at this point are. Let me backtrack a
1: second here. Why don't you give people an idea about what exactly an internet exchange, what its function is, right? Like besides just talking about the peering side of it, like what problem does it solve
2: for folks within your geography? Like why is it important functionally for them? As I mentioned before, a lot of the connectivity in our region, it goes through D.C. or Chicago. So an Internet exchange allows you to exchange connectivity locally so exchange traffic between networks more local to where those networks originate and terminate so that you can improve performance for users the value of an exchange increases with every new member you add because it allows those peering networks to exchange traffic locally and really it's it's a big switch fabric just to boil it down to its most simple terms where we have some address resources that we get from aaron both a v4 and a v6 prefix And these are explicitly for peering, meaning they're not meant for internet transit. You can't, you know, announce them to the internet and allow people to get to them. They are strictly for the members of the exchange to connect to one another and also to route servers, which we host as well. So there's a few different ways to interconnect, at least across the Ohio IX. I mean, some IXs have additional services, but we have really three primary ways to interconnect. Number one is direct bilateral peering, meaning you know the members create BGP sessions to one another and exchange routes, and they peer with one another directly. Uh, another one is multilateral peering with the route servers. So the route servers are, are you know a couple of BGP speaking, and we use Bird too for our route servers, um, which is an open source uh, BGP routing daemon. And that way, it, the members that connect to the route servers they can just share their routes once, and then everybody else who participates. And the route servers sees those routes so they don't have to establish you know a bilateral bgp peering session with all of the other members that that are connected to the route servers they just will exchange routes automatically so that's a nice easy way to get started and get interconnected you know when most members connect with the um the route servers. now some do not some of the larger content providers choose not to because their routing policy is complex, their network's big. Um, they don't want any surprises of certain prefixes showing up in, in different places that they don't expect. So, you know, for example, like Amazon does not participate in the route servers. They do only bilateral peering with other members on the exchange. So you've got bilateral peering, multilateral peering. We also um, allow for members to just directly connect with one another with private VLANs across the exchange. So at layer two, if you want to Connect from one member, you know, between members and establish, you know, maybe you have your using, you're leveraging multicast or some other protocol that we don't allow on the on the fabric, we could allow you to connect directly with one another, uh, exchange that, and, uh, you know, still be able to take advantage of connectivity across the fabric. So, you know, the really the problem that we solve for our members is making it so that they can interconnect between networks, lowering the latency of getting to things like content. A lot of what we talk about is eyeball networks versus content networks, the eyeball networks being um, the networks where, you know, subscribers are. So you might have a wireless Internet service provider or a fiber line provider or cable Internet provider. Those are the, the eyeball networks where those users are, are you know, connecting to the internet and reaching out to get content. And then we have content providers on the other side. And Amazon, I'd consider in that boat. Amazon, we have Cloudflare, uh, Fastly, Akamai. A lot of these content providers that deliver content to those users, we're bringing those things together co- more closely. Um, because we're regionally, in this geography, interconnecting those networks and, and giving them you know a low latency path between each other.
1: Right. And so it reduces the time because you don't have to go all the way to, you know, Ashburn or all the way to Chicago in order to be able to loop the traffic. It's just to bring it right back around to something, you know, two miles down the street. Right. So you're avoiding that that hairpinning uh, effect that often goes on with geography issues. Uh, such as this. So yeah, it's it's a totally useful thing. And I don't think a lot of people really realize how much of this is going on and how important it is in terms of the performance of what they
2: experience day to day, right? It's true. And the other thing it does is, is for some of these local regional operators, it lowers their costs on connecting to content. So instead of them having to buy IP transit from, you know, an upstream internet provider, like a lot of his traffic's offloaded and gives them a little bit more resilience in their network too. So if, you know, their upstream transit providers are having a bad day, they can be sure to uh, still get access to these different members by bilateral, multilateral peering.
1: No, Yeah, that's very cool. I think it's neat, too, that you guys are providing that sort of layer two transit service, basically the equivalent of like a semi cross connect (laughs) capability within your, within your exchange. That's, that's very cool, because that's a big problem for a lot of shops that are just kind of regional, maybe they built a peering agreement, but to keep their circuit costs down, that's pretty cool. I can see that as a big advantage. Maybe we talk a little bit about visibility in terms of what traffic is traversing just across your local exchange, right? For internet pairing. And maybe give us a little bit of, of a talk about a little bit of V4 versus V6 traffic. And, you know, what do you see now? How's that changed over time for you guys' internet exchange? And what does that footprint look
2: like? And, and how has it evolved? I actually, you know, just take a look at the statistics for, for the last 24 hours or so, around 97% of the traffic flowing across is, is V4 traffic. So uh, it's about between 3 and 4% most days of, of it is v6. Uh, like I said before, m- most of our members, more than 50% now, are appearing with one another. And we're seeing more interest in, in period with v6, both bilaterally and, and multilaterally with route servers. In fact, I just had a, a member who's been v4 only for a long time that reached out and said, hey, I'd like to light up my v6 uh, sessions, use my v6 addresses. So there is more and more interest in it. And as far as you know use over time i'd say that it was more like in that 3 year time frame we were more like 1% probably 3 years ago so it's it's definitely growing quite a bit for us and um you know, the number of v6 routes that we're seeing that uh, traverse the the route servers have gone up quite a bit too probably you know i would say in the neighborhood of like 15 20% in the last couple of years yeah
1: that's interesting and i guess the other thing that's sort of obvious is that you guys such as an exchange have to support v6 before anyone can actually route or transit v6 right so right there's some effort that had to go into actually getting you guys turned up when did you guys take that on? And then like, you know, how much work, how difficult was that for you guys?
2: It actually wasn't that difficult. We just we just did it from the start. So when we deployed and which was, you know, 2016. So there's a lot of a lot older exchanges that had an earlier start. And, you know, it might've taken them a little bit of work, but we deployed with it. So the version of Bird that we launched with um, supported it and we've upgraded. Then we went from Bird 1 to Bird 2 um, since I've been here. And when we made that, like, You know, Bird 2 supports V6. And then as far as like the, um, the, obviously the bilateral peering, it's just Ethernet. So we just let the the members connect to each other across the fabric. Really, we we have one big slash 64 that we assign addressing out of for our members. And then so it really the, the way it looks is um you know we, we have a embedded in it the VLAN ID that, that we're uh that we have the fabric on and then the the very last value of it is is the it's it's identical to the last octet of their their v4 address. So we keep it simple for us it's just one big slash 64. Everybody interconnects over that. Our route servers have a couple of addresses on there and it's it's fairly straightforward for us, so it really wasn't a heavy lift for us at all. It was pretty easy. So you can add another 18 quintillion peering neighbors, and it shouldn't be a problem. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, we got we got room for growth. No problem.
4: You know, Jason, the sort of economics behind peering are are fascinating, and and I think we've seen them evolve over the years. It you know started out with sort of nothing but public exchanges, like back in the day, and and public peering, and you know a lot of settlement free peering based on knowing that the amount of traffic that you're sending and receiving was you know fairly even and. You know, of course, with content networks, that sort of upset the the economics of all that, and and I'm just curious your perspective of, of sort of the economics behind things and and being at a at a public peering point.
2: I, I think know, yeah. Bits are obviously cheaper to buy than ever. As far as you know, buying upstream uh, transit, and a lot of you know who, who we work with are are those regional service providers that are buying upstream transit from the, the large tier ones of the world. I don't even know if that's how they're expressed anymore, but you know the they're buying uh, upstream transit from somebody to to get their users connected to the internet. And for them, the offload and, and the cost savings on that is great to leverage an in exchange instead. And there's also, I mean, in, in a V6 context, I mean, it's not a lot of them, but there are some providers that it's either difficult to work with or that maybe they don't fully support V6 and they may be able to leverage us. I mean, there's there's a um, a really amazing member that's connected called Hurricane Electric. And I'm sure um, if you're not familiar with them in, in a, a V6 context, you should check them out. They They do a lot of great things for the IPv6 community and one of the largest IPv6 backbones in the world. We have them as a member, and there's a lot of our other members that appreciate that and connect to them directly to get their transit. So that's another thing that I guess I didn't really talk about, but if you want to leverage other members to actually get to the internet and to use for IP, uh, IP transit, um, our exchange is actually friendly to that. Uh, and let's uh, you connect to someone like Hurricane Electric who does you know, get you that access and can maybe do that more cost effectively for you than you might be able to get otherwise.
3: That's pretty awesome. Again, and you didn't even have to bake them a cake, with, like, please bear with us.
2: No, no, not That's at all. That's pretty nice. Were, That's sweet. They were one of the earliest, <laughs> uh, yeah, one of one of the early, uh, they, they were very supportive of exchanges and very, very involved in the exchange mm-hmm. community, so... They're a, a pretty great provider, and, and like I said, very IX friendly. So you know, a lot of our members enjoy that you know, being able to connect with them and and get transit. And just to give you an idea of like kind of the economics we're talking about, our exchange is we are a nonprofit, volunteer led exchange. So we don't have employees, and it's not uh, it's not necessarily a you know for profit corporate entity. There are some other ones out there that are. We are not. You know, for a, a ten gig port on our uh, exchange, it's a thousand bucks a year. For a hundred gig port, it's twenty. 500 bucks a year so that's it's up to you to get the 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 cross connect to us but once you're connected you can connect to everyone else however you'd like so if you want to use multilateral peering great you want to use bilateral peering i mean as long as you're using you know the you know approved protocols like you know ipv4 ipv6 and then if we need wanted to do anything outside of that anything uh oddball we could get you over uh, a direct layer two connection but the Economics are very, very reasonable, and, that,
1: and that's to help you guys cover your power and, and facility costs, right?
2: You nailed it, yeah. So, Good. we you know, we, we have to pay for support costs on the equipment, we have to pay for power. Actually, CoLogix is is also a, a very IX friendly vendor. I know we're in CoLogix, and I think MICE is in, in Minneapolis, but we, um. We don't pay for the cabinet. We pay for power. And we we have a, a nice rate, too, for members of the IX. So we negotiated uh, a, a discounted cross-connect rate for ah. um, for folks to connect to us. So um, okay. that I, is the one the other expense you have. In addition to the port, you pay us for the port. Then you pay the co-location provider that we're hosted in for the the cross-connect to get to us. Right, yeah, It's for them to drop it, and drop it in, and and
1: I know Hurricane Electric is very friendly that way too. So, if you're on. I know for some of their facilities, they do something similar. So that's. I know Mike has always been super gracious with folks, especially if they're testing out V6 related stuff, uh, to give them access for ports and cabinets. So that's pretty cool that you guys have all, all that arrangement. That's pretty amazing. That costs. I'm surprised you don't have a lot more folks
2: jumping all over to be able to. Here directly with you guys to you know to me that. too me too hopefully this gets the word out <laughs> it gets more people interested because um you know we 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 do a lot of outreach a lot of community outreach and we we organize events all over the state to try and educate people about the ix it's it's a tough thing to explain though it's like well why i'm connected to the internet already with the transits i have one and i just continue to use those and um, it's just, it, it, it's tough to express all of the different things that we do in ways that we improve network performance for users.
1: Yeah, it's a yes and. <laughs> like, like yes, you should continue to do that. And <laughs>
2: right? and this will make things
1: better. Yeah. This absolutely. will make things better for you. Yeah, 100%. Out of the fact that you know the the networking folks should get that right away. Maybe, maybe the business line wouldn't understand it until you actually start seeing the the latency drop from a performance basis, right? In terms of the experience, their end users would actually get in terms of you know, especially the content side, right? Like they should get pretty dramatic improvements on on the content side alone from. Uh, just reaching and accessing that stuff, uh, assuming that you guys have the, all the right peering connections for that.
2: Okay, yeah, CDNs, you know, we've got Akamai, Cloudflare, Fastly. We just added Edgecast. Uh, okay. We're talking to Limelight. So we've got a lot of the, the large content AESs connected at this point. Um, then outside of that, we do, we also host some content caches for certain content providers such as Netflix. So we've right. got a content cache from them. We've got a content cache from Valve Software, um, which delivers up uh, Steam content. It was pretty busy. I think it was a, a week or two ago. A new a new Counter Strike game came out and. We were <laughs> that was uh, buzzing along, but yeah, there's there's lots of ways that we get users closer to content, and improve performance. It's that it's tough to to express on a balance sheet for sure. It's a, definitely a quality of experience sort of thing, right? Yeah, but once they experience it, they never want to go back. <laughs> right? It's true. That's it's
1: that's true. So, Yeah, that's one of the funny things about it. Is like you say, like. Go to the finance people and they experience that for the first time and they're like, oh, I get it. And then you're like, okay, we're going to take it away because you guys don't want to pay for it. Like, oh, <laughs> hold on <in> a sec. <laughs> R- rummage around in the in the couch here. We can find find a way to pay for that. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like like I said, it's not terribly expensive. You can advertise that thousand dollars over, over the year, and it's it's less than a hundred bucks a month. So it's yeah. Very reasonable,
4: kind of like IPv6 itself. It, it's uh, it's so incredibly cheap to get your your own allocation. You know the uh, the cost of it associated is is just so infinitesimal compared to the benefit that you get from it. So the public exchange, hey, same thing.
2: Yeah, and you know, leveraging V6 across this uh, like I said, you could get connected to someone like a Hurricane Electric or or there's other members too that outside of just them that are that are using v6 and, and getting familiar with you know how to interconnect and, and learning more about it there's a lot of value there
1: yeah well you know if you have cogent dropped in there then someone can actually be able to talk to both sides of
2: the ipv6 internet so <laughs> cogent <laughs> i will say they're typically averse to ix connected uh connected yeah. IX. i haven't heard that at all i don't know what you're talking about
1: <laughs> <laughs> But we can all send them a cake and and it should be good. Uh, Too funny. Well, I mean, Jason, besides the great work you're personally doing around the exchange side, I know you have other community-based projects that you're working on, and one of them is, is... a interest to myself, which is, I I think you sort of helped co-found the the U.S. Networking User Association. So maybe maybe you can give us an introduction about where that came about, why you decided you wanted to do that as as an additional thing on top of your internet exchange stuff. You're like, hey, I should slather on doing a bunch of community in-person networking user groups too, because hey... (laughs) Why I've not? got more time.
2: <laughs> uh, actually, I, I think I've got like moratorium on new things to get involved with., uh, you know, as far as my wife's concerned. she's like, this is enough. <laughs> You're doing enough.
0: Let's pause the conversation for a word from sponsor Gcore CDN. GCore CDN is a next-gen content delivery network that accelerates your application' static and dynamic traffic. It's got a global presence with more than one hundred and fifty edge locations and eleven thousand peering partners worldwide. And its entire infrastructure supports IPv6. G-Core can compress, resize, and convert images into AVIG or WebP on the fly. With dynamic content acceleration, websites are smoother and more responsive. G-Core CDN can protect your servers from overloads, be they unexpected traffic spikes or a DDoS attack. Your operations team will appreciate G-Core's extended API and its support for Terraform and Grafana, and your business team will appreciate the generous free plan, which includes one terabyte of monthly traffic and most key CDN features. Find out what G-Core CDN can do for your online presence at gcore.com slash Packet That's gcore.com slash Packet And now back to the conversation.
2: The USNUA is an organization that we founded. It actually started out as just the Ohio Networking User Group. So it started here in Ohio. Um, a few of uh, my peers here, um, a guy by the name of Chris Kane and uh, another guy, Mitchell Vaughn, and and some others, we over beers just said, hey, there's the Linux user group, there's a VMware user group, there's all these different user groups for for technology that a lot of like sysadmins have. But we as network guys, we don't really have anything. I think that there was some vendor specific <laughs> groups, like there might have been a Cisco user group, and, and maybe I think Palo Alto has fuel, but we we wanted to uh create something more generalized and really the the initial intent was to have a vendor neutral environment to discuss like open technologies the challenges that we as network engineers um you know face in our day-to-day lives ways we're solving problems that sort of thing so we started doing onugs in this would have been 2017 and um and then we ran them for a while. Eventually they I mean, the first one we did was in Cleveland, Ohio. And then we branched out to Columbus and then Cincinnati and then Toledo. And we got into a pace of you know one event per quarter and just rotating through the state. And the format of the events, uh, the the way they typically take shape is, We'll have some mingle time, but for everybody to come in, get settled. Um, there's free food, there's free drink, and then we'll have a, a keynote speaker that will talk about a, a an open technology or you know a, a problem they've solved. Like a, a pretty cool one that came up was uh, we had a a grocery store chain come in and talk about how they built their own open source router, which was you know kind of a cool presentation and how they built it, the stack they used, the hardware they selected, how they coupled all that together. And then, you know, after that that presentation, we'll we'll usually cap the night with a with a with a panel discussion, and we'll bring up uh, folks that work for the local enterprises and service providers in town. Talk about their daily experiences. We try and have some good questions crafted uh, to. You know, suss out some of the things they deal with, some of the technologies they're working at, with what they're most excited about in the network space, and then you know we'll have some more mingle time in between events, and you know at the end, and then wrap. Well, sometimes it, a lot of these are at breweries. We'll have a a tour of some kind where we'll we'll go tour the brewery and check it out. So we started with Onog. Then COVID happened and we couldn't really run these events. We were trying to do them over Zoom, but it was, you know, attendance was, eh, it was, it was okay. And it, it was really weird to do over Zoom as, you know, something that was really designed and, and worked well in person. Um, so we kind of took a step back and um, and before COVID happened, people were asking us regionally, you know, in Michigan and Indiana and Pennsylvania, how do we do this in our backyard? How do we, How do we replicate what you guys have built? And um, we thought to ourselves, well, maybe what we could do is just take what we've built with Ohio Networking User Group, encapsulate it, and then and then make a template that others can follow that allows them to do the same thing where they are. So we did that, like 2020, 2021, uh, worked on what that might look like, had created an, like an enablement kit, and, and a lot of the the infrastructure that you need to to run one of these events, and then... We've started to roll them out to other regions. So for folks that are interested, um, the way you, you get started and Ed, you can speak to this because I think you're, you're looking to starting one in your region. If you're interested in being an organizer of, of these types of events, you can reach out to us and, and what we'll do is get you set up and get you all the uh, enablement uh, pieces that you need to to run these events. But we've got a number, I, we've got, I think it's 15 chapters now off the ground between Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, Florida, Georgia. The list goes on. Um, there's there's a lot of them that have been run out there. So if you want to check out usnua.com, you can see all of the uh, the different the different chapters that are up and running. There might be an, an event in your area that you would want to go check out. And the, by the way, these are free. These don't cost anything. Uh, they're they're paid for by vendor sponsorship. So they cover the cost of the event. You just show up and talk to your your fellow network nerds,
1: consume beer and some food, and uh, and and talk networking. That's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, actually, our tagline is a vendor neutral environment to, to talk networking with beer. So that's the very important part of it.
1: Yeah. And it's been a great experience so far. And you guys have just sort of reached out and done the scheduling and getting ready to sort of kick off and have discussions. And just for folks that are like, oh, I'm trying to get everything set up in, in Nevada. So Las Vegas and Reno. <laughs> so, so we're looking at sort of the two locations in Nevada because I don't know how many other locations we really could host out of Nevada. But, but yeah, at least getting, getting something started there is, would, be, would be good. And I, and I mean, just, just from what I can tell, because, um, you know, Ethan's involved uh, from the Packet Pushers side. I don't know Ethan has been involved with with some of the stuff running up in the in the Northeast, right? Um, in his neck of the woods. And he's been very favorable and excited about about uh, the opportunity just to have a really a, a vendor neutral space. I mean, we've had the Cisco user group stuff for a long, long time, and I participated and worked worked around that. And Scott, I believe you've, you've done that too.
3: Yeah, that and, and the old NPUG stuff, yeah. different cities.
1: Yes, and so it's nice to have an, an in person where we can start talking through a, a bunch of these a bunch of these related you know networking, a little bit of security, a little bit of you know where things are going, you know cloud et cetera like every, everything that touches networking, you get an opportunity to sort of chat around and and talk through structurally like, hey, how are you solving this problem? what are you looking at and what's what's interesting to you today
2: I think it's it's all really good. another byproduct of it is typically seeing folks in your industry that you know that you haven't seen for a long time, you know? And that's, that's I think, one of my favorite parts is walking into some of these events and going, holy smokes, like, how are you doing, Joe? I haven't seen you in like seven, eight years, you know, at at job XYZ that we work together at. So that's a really fun part of it is, is that, that personal networking aspect, seeing people that are in the in- industry out and about. Yeah. And I've
1: seen a lot of people at user groups actually get their next job, right? Like, oh, you're really sharp with that.
2: You should come work with me over here.
1: Um, you'd be amazed how many sort of in person, especially when you're
2: looking for talent locally. Uh, yeah, great, and we great. give we give attendees um, an open floor at that. And you know, when the MC is introducing the event, they they say, "Hey, is anybody anybody looking to fill a position in the room? Go ahead and raise your hand. Talk about you know where you're at and the the position available." And then yeah, we have made those connections. Yeah. That's that's a really big
1: part of, of uh, getting to know your local folks in, in your region and the sort of establishing a network for yourself. With that being said, I mean, how can folks get involved with, I guess, two things, with the exchange if they're interested and if you happen to be in your backyard and, and, and want to get involved? And then also, obviously, with the USNUA, how can
2: they get involved with those? As far as the exchange goes, um, we have a, a form on our site that, that you can fill out uh, if you'd like to get involved. The, well, there's a couple of forms. One is actually apply for membership. So the way membership works is you apply for senior or associate membership, A senior membership, um, get you voting rights and you know access it associates more for those who don't want to connect to the exchange necessarily, they just want to support it. Uh, but you apply for the level of uh membership you're interested in the board reviews that once a month and then as long as you're approved um you know and and, and pay the um the fee we get you connected to the exchange it's it's fairly straightforward we also run events in uh, all around uh Ohio so um maybe keep keep an eye out for that if you want to meet up with us and learn more about the exchange even if you just want to reach out to me uh, like we'll we'll talk about the socials later but yeah you know, um you know reach out to me on social uh media media, like LinkedIn is probably the best place uh, if you're interested in getting involved in the exchange. And as far as the USNUA, there's a portion of our usnua.com page where you can, uh, I think it's the get involved link at the top. If you click on that, that has five different ways that you can get involved with the USNUA, whether it's becoming a sponsor, starting a group like like Ed and Ethan have decided to do, joining the the community as far as um, uh, getting updates on events in your area. So that would be like our, our mailing list where we send out updates. And we have a Slack as well. If you want, want to log on, there's a, there's a link that'll take you to our Slack and get you involved and, and talk to the other folks that are in the community. We've got about 500 people on the Slack that are talking about various topics throughout the day. I think those are some some key ways that uh, you can involve involved with each of those. Oh, that's awesome.
1: I guess we can pivot and, and get a little geeky on you because maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the tooling that you use for for the internet exchange itself and whether you have any any favorites. Scott, I don't know. I think you had listed out a bunch here, but I didn't know if there was anything that you had that, that you really found super useful in an yeah. exchange basis.
3: What kind of tools do you use to troubleshoot IPv6 connectivity issues or routing issues? Because an, an enterprise who's embarking on deploying IPv6 May want to you know troubleshoot connectivity or or just anyone connecting to the IPv6 internet. What are the what are the tools you commonly look to? Or are your favorites?
2: Very important part of our our stack when it comes to that to our tooling is um, something called IXP Manager, which is an open source project that really our our whole exchange is integrated with that. So that's where we keep, um, you know, our member lists. That's where we keep our our patch panel uh, ID information. It graphs all of our interfaces so all of our utilization. It, it collects SFlow and tells us which um, neighbors are talking to each other. It even will tell us from a peering standpoint who's peered with one another. Uh, it digs through that SFlow data to see who's talking um. Uh, TCP 179 with each other and we can identify who's who's got bilateral peering across the fabric so um, that has uh, a looking glass so I mentioned before we use um, bird uh, the bird internet routing demon for um, for our peering for our multilateral peering. Uh, our members can log into IXP Manager. There is a self service component of it for members. So they can go take a look through the looking glass at the route servers to see what routes are being exchanged, like, you know, what they're advertising, what they're being advertised as far as routes. And actually, you can take a look at the other members, everyone else who's connected to uh, the route servers, you can see um, their advertisements. Um, And the nice thing is you can even see it right down to the level of uh, being able to see like community tags that they've placed on it, because there are well-known community tags that we utilize to allow our members to filter based on those tags. So if you're like, wait a minute, this this member's connected, but I'm not getting this, this V6 prefix from them. I wonder why you can go in and take a look and see if like maybe there's a there's a filtering tag there that that's filtering it to you for some reason. So that's one important tool that we use quite a bit. Um if we're looking at the outside world, we u- do use some of the tools that that are available from from Hurricane Electric, so they have bgp.he.net, lg like lookingglass.he.net. Those are really really useful for seeing just like on the on the public routing table what's happening. Um, There's also a number of other looking glasses out there. I think if you just look up BGP looking glass, you'll see a a number of uh, resources now, whether or not they're working debatable, I guess some of them uh, aren't in service anymore. But um, you know, that's definitely helpful for looking at things on the outside, um, you know, inside the IX, the tools that we provide an IXP manager are really beneficial. But if you're just trying to see like, like what the rest of the internet seeing as far as, um, you know, the prefixes you're advertising to other peers, um, those are some good utilities.
3: Yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Jason.
2: And that's useful.
1: I, I make personally use of, of the Hurricane Electric tools for getting a lot of V6 visibility. So that's cool to hear that someone else is using them too. I'm <laughs> not alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Well, unlike V6, we run out of space for this podcast. Thanks to today's Jess. Jason. How can folks get a hold of you on the internet? Like, what's the best way? I think you mentioned LinkedIn. We'll put your LinkedIn uh, uh, URL in there. But is is there any place else that you are You on X or Twitter? <laughs>
3: whatever you want yeah. to call it today.
1: Yeah,
2: whatever it's called today. Um yeah, I am everywhere else on just bits in flight. So at bits and flight on uh, X on I think on Mastodon, I'm also on Blue Sky um and that one's at bitsinflight.com um is my is my handle there. Um so if you, everywhere else bits and flight on LinkedIn just Jason Ginnert. Awesome.
1: Well, you can reach the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter or X or whatever they call themselves today at IPv6 Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us. Um, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hoog. And I'm at eHorley. Because Twitter seems to be having lots of challenges, we really sort of recommend you head over to packetbushers.net slash fu to send follow-up questions. And comments about the show. And uh, if you have any questions or comments for Jason, we'll get them along to them. Um, Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating um, on whatever podcast platform you have. (laughs) And if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at packetpushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 Internet, that is.
0: Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.